You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Does God really love me or has he written me off? I mean, have I crossed over that line where, you know, he's put me up for adoption and I, I can't even consider myself as a child of God any longer? What's the problem there? He didn't keep himself in the place where God could have addressed all of those questions and cleared up all of the confusion within his life. Listen, if you're expecting God to speak to you, keep yourself in the place where he can speak to you. And of course, the best place is what? In the church, of course or with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you ever feel like you've been left behind? Like the people around you just sort of move on to other things without caring about you? Do you ever feel like God does that? In today's message, Pastor Mike speaks about why people don't often hear God's voice. And that's because they're not listening for it. Not just in attention, but in location or even in action. Hearing God's voice means you need to seek it. So that means putting aside distractions and excuses. God's already found you, so find Him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 46. As he begins his message, He knows my name. Let me set the stage for you here in our study, kind of bring you up to speed. Joseph, who has now sort of become our main focus and character, who has now become the prime minister of Egypt through an unusual series of circumstances, has just revealed himself to his brothers who betrayed him, who sold him into slavery some 15 years ago, just to date our text. But Joseph explains to them as they're standing before him not to worry about any retribution or any revenge on his part because Joseph knew that it was God who actually orchestrated all of the events that had taken place within his life so that they might be, that is his brothers, his family members, might be preserved during the seven years of famine, which has now begun to take place. They're actually two years into the seven-year period of famine that was widespread throughout the land. And then Joseph goes on to ask his brothers to bring their father, Jacob, down to Egypt that he might be comforted and his needs met, and so dad, Jacob, that is, is on his way. So that sets the stage for this morning's study. So with that said, 
Let's go ahead and read our text, chapter 46, beginning in verse 41. So Israel, and that's just another way to refer to Jacob. Remember Jacob, the conniver, the supplanter, after wrestling with the angel, who I actually believe was none other than Christ himself. It was an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, what's known as the Theophanies. He wrestled with Jacob, and in that night, he turned his name from Jacob to Israel. The name Israel uh, refers to someone who is governed by God. That's the little uh, uh, interpretation of that name. So Jacob, the supplanter, the conniver, the fellow who lived his life by his wit and some of his own abilities, has now become someone who is governed by God. He's been broken uh, by God. And so Israel, Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. So now he's, he was just encouraged to go down to Egypt where he would be sustained during the seven years of famine. You know, if you look at your Bible atlases in the back of your Bibles, many of you have them, you'll note that Bathsheba was the southernmost part of Israel. It sort of began with Dan, just kind of give you an idea of the boundaries of Israel during this particular time. In the northern uh, part of Israel, there's the uh, uh, city of, of Dan, or the province known as Dan, and then in the southernmost part of Israel is Bathsheba. So therefore, uh, Jacob is still within the borders of Israel, okay? And there's a reason why I mention that, but I'll get to that in just a moment. And notice it was there in Bathsheba where Joseph, uh, rather Jacob, offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And then God, in response, and this is very important, in response to offering those sacrifices to himself, spoke to Jacob in the visions of the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And so he said, I am God, the God of your father, Isaac. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. Now, what would that suggest? Well, that simply, Jacob was apprehensive. You know, he's facing an unsure future. He didn't know what he was going to come up against when he went down to Egypt. So he's a little anxious about that. He's a little fearful. And also, in just a moment, I'll give you some of the reasons why I believe he was uh, fearful. Verse 4, I will go down with you to Egypt. Notice the promise of God. And I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes, or actually reveal my plan and purpose to you. Then Jacob arose from Bathsheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And so they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, went to Egypt, Jacob all and all of his descendants with him, his sons and his sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now, the first thing that sticks out here in my mind is notice God calls out to his servant, Jacob, by his name. Notice, let's go back to our text in verse 2. He cries out, Jacob, Jacob. Okay, yes, this is unusual. I don't know how many of you have audibly heard the voice of God crying out to you, hey, Ronnie, Ronnie, 
or Elizabeth, Elizabeth, or Mike, Mike. Well, you know, there's other ways that God, of course, speaks to us. But I, I got to tell you something. He's never spoke to me audibly. He might as well have. Uh, I don't know how many times, you know, just in the study of the word, you know, God has spoken to me in a very relevant and personal kind of a way. But anyway, this is sort of unusual, but also, let me say, not rare. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. I think of God's call to Samuel when he was just a boy. Remember, when we're first introduced to Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel, in chapter 3, in verse 10, and it's there that we're introduced to, in our cast of characters, a woman whose name was Hannah, who was barren, who was unable to uh, bear a child unto her husband. And back then, within that culture, you were considered under a curse not to be able uh, to bear a child to your husband. Remember, uh, when God first created the, when he created the first man and woman, he instructed them to be fruitful and multiply. So it was actually considered a curse if you weren't able to bear a child unto your husband. And so Hannah sought the Lord, cried out to the Lord, and it seemed as if God wasn't responding. But then it dawned on Hannah, you know what, maybe I need to you know, ask for the right reasons that God would open up my womb and I would be able to bear a son unto my husband. And then she thought, you know what, if God, she sort of like kind of made a, a deal with them. You know how we are. We make deals with God, right? God, if you do this, I'll do that kind of a thing. And she says, if you open my womb and I'm able to bear a son, I'll give that son back to you. And that's exactly what she did. So after a season, she bore a son, named his name Samuel. And after the child was weaned, she took the child and presented him to the Lord, uh, to the priest, whose name was Eli at that particular time. And young Samuel sort of became Eli's steward. But notice in 1 Samuel in chapter 3 and verse 10, on one particular occasion, God began to speak to Samuel. And he called him out by name. Now Samuel was a little confused about this and actually thought that it was Eli who was calling him in the dead of night. But this went on several times before Eli began to speak to Samuel and says, you know what, it's not me who's calling you, it must be God. And the next time that you hear that voice, Samuel, Samuel, you should respond and say, God, here I am, here is your servant, and speak. And so we read, now the Lord came and stood and called as the other time, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. So initially, as I've mentioned, Samuel thought it was the priest Eli, but after a while he realized that it was God calling, and thus he responded, speak for your servant is listening. So that's the first example of this sort of thing in the scriptures. Let me give you another example from the New Testament. When Saul of Tarsus, before a guy got a hold of him and changed his name to Paul, who became the great uh, apostle, he was on his way to Damascus to murder Christians. He was the prime mover in the campaign to squash Christianity. And God got a hold of Saul of Tarsus on that road to Damascus. It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 9 in verse 4. And he declared, Saul, Saul, 
Why do you persecute me? You know, and isn't it interesting that Saul was on his way to persecute Christians, but Jesus turns that whole thing around and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, Christ identifies with his people who are suffering to that extent. If you're suffering, he's suffering. If you're being persecuted, he's being persecuted. That's the connection that we have. That's the identity that we have in Christ. But once again, another example of God speaking to one of his servants. I'll give you one last example before we go back to our text. Remember when God called Abraham, uh, and we've, we've, uh, uh, we've covered this in one of our previous uh, studies in Genesis chapter 22. Remember when God called Abraham in the matter of the sacrifices uh, of the sacrifice of his son Isaac. Sort of, uh, you know, testing Abraham, but it was sort of like a pageant, if you will, that was being played out, uh, similar uh, to what God had done uh, with his own son, Jesus Christ. Remember, God spoke to Abraham, he says, Take now thy son, thy only begotten son. Reminds us of John 3.16, right? The only begotten son of God. And, uh, and get to a place that I will show you on Mount Moriah the very place that Jesus was crucified. And it was a three days journey. Even as in uh, Abraham's mind, his son Isaac was dead for three days. Even as Jesus was in the uh, ground, right, for three days, where he ministered to people before he ascended, uh, before he rose again from the dead, rather. And uh, so it was a pageant that was being played out. Uh, similar. It was an analogy. It was an allegory of what God had done for us through his son, uh, Jesus Christ. But anyway, God called Abraham, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and then again in 11, in the matter of the sacrifice of his son, Isaac. And he cried out to him, uh, Abraham, Abraham. So, uh, so there are some of the other examples of God calling out certain individuals his servants, by their name. And now here in our text, we have a similar call of Jacob. You see, Jacob had started his trip down to Egypt to see his son Joseph, but he pauses here in Bathsheba. He's afraid of what lies ahead. And it is exactly then when the reassurance of God comes. Verses three and four, let's revisit that. So he said, I am God the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. Listen, that's all that Jacob needed. The next picture, as we read on here in our text, is one of confidence. Jacob gets up from that place in Bathsheba and he begins to move. And we don't read again of his being fearful. But listen, isn't this exactly like God in our own personal experiences? Think about it. In major crises in the life of a believer, there's always a word that comes from God. And when that word of God comes from God, it makes all of the difference in the world. Now, he does that in a variety of different ways. He might be even doing that this morning from across this pulpit. Maybe there's some kind of crisis uh, that you're going through right now in your own life's experience. And God may say something to you through me this morning 
that will just help you to be able to bear that burden, get through an extremely difficult time, you know? Or it may be in a conversation that you may have after the service with a brother or a sister in Christ. It may be some other kind of incident. It may, you know, God has a variety of different ways of speaking to his people. It could be through an unbeliever. It could be something that you watch on television later on. This, it could be you watching the Knicks later on or, or the Oscars tonight or, you know, whatever. I mean, God, you know, there's no, there's no limitations with God. God has this uncanny ability and these capacities, you know, to be able to do exactly that. But once again, you can be sure that this is going to take place. This is a part of being a child of God. It's one of the perks of being a child of God. In major crises in the life of a believer, there's always a word that comes from God. And it makes all of the difference in the world. And let me also suggest to you that you need to keep yourself in the place or put yourself in the place where God can speak to you, right? You know, isn't it crazy? I want you to think about it. I don't know how many times we haven't seen someone for the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months. So we dial them up on the phone, right? We become aware of the fact that, you know, something's going on in their life. So we call them on the phone and, and uh, you know, hey, uh, Joe, Mary, how you doing? What's going on? We haven't seen you in a while. Is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can pray about for you? And then, uh, why haven't you been in church? And they'll, they'll, they'll usually respond by saying, you know, I just don't feel worthy. You know, I've, there's been this thing that I've allowed to go on in my life. And, you know, I have all of these questions and I'm wondering about my relationship with God. And, you know, you know, does God really love me or has he written me off? I mean, have I crossed over that line where, you know, he's put me up for adoption and I, I can't even consider myself as a child of God any longer? What's the problem there? He didn't keep himself in the place where God could have addressed all of those questions and cleared up all of the confusion within his life. Listen, if you're expecting God to speak to you, keep yourself in the place where he can speak to you. And of course, the best place is what? In the church, of course, or with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But isn't that amazing? It's just one of the things, you know, the devil will come and, and speak in your ear. You're not worthy of going into the house of God. And uh, because he wants to continue to alienate you from God. He doesn't want you to hear anything that might clear up any of the confusion that you're going through about your relationship with God or your provision with God or God's love for you. He's always looking to stick that wedge between you and God and your relationship with him. You know, we're not ignorant of the devices of the devil, the Bible tells us. And that's just one of the ways that he seeks to alienate God's people from himself. So anyway, in major crises in the life of a believer, there's always a word that comes from God. And when that word comes, it makes all the difference in the world. But you know what? It makes a difference in the people that are spoken to. Hey, listen, go back to the examples of those three individuals that I just gave you. Samuel, right? Think about it. He was facing a crisis. What was the crisis? You know, at that time, Israel had actually turned their backs upon God. And Eli, the sons of Eli, who was the priest at that particular time, the Bible testifies to the fact in 1 Samuel, in chapter 2, I think it is, that they didn't even know God. They took advantage of the people of God. 
there was very little revelation of God at that particular time. Israel was going through a crisis. And so God raised up another servant, another priest. Who was that? It was Samuel. And Samuel thus becomes a distinguished leader in Israel. Okay, that's the first example. So check that off. How about Saul? His name was changed to Paul. And Paul became, isn't that crazy? He was the prime mover in the campaign, the squash Christianity. God got a hold of him in a period of time in crisis for the church. Think about it. Turned that whole thing around, and he became the great missionary. The, 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 think about that. And uh, who, who brought the gospel to the ends of the earth. A great apostle. Paul, the great missionary, the great apostle. And then we have Abraham, who actually became a giant in faith. Think about that, right? He's recommended to us in the scriptures as the father of faith. Okay, so what happened to Jacob? Okay, God's calling him by name, Jacob, Jacob. So what happened to Jacob? Well, first of all, before we actually get into and seek to answer that question, and over the next couple of weeks we'll continue to Uh, answer that question for you. But first of all, let's consider the reasons why Jacob may have been fearful. And let's also try to answer the question, was he justified in being fearful? Now, let's bring this down to personal terms. I mean, yes, we're interested in uh, Jacob here and his own experience, but what about us? You know, how does this translate to you and to me? Are there things going on in your life right now, some crisis that's causing you to be apprehensive, that's causing you to be fearful, that's causing you to question your relationship with God? Well, that's what we want to address this morning. So let's go back to our text. Jacob, as I've already mentioned, is in Beersheba, the southernmost part of the land of Canaan, which later on becomes the nation of Israel. It extended from Dan in the north to Bathsheba in the south. But then beyond that, he's still in Israel, if you think about it, in Bathsheba. And then beyond that is the desert, the unknown. And Jacob never had launched out beyond that place. And then even beyond the expanse of the desert was the nation of Egypt. And by the way, Jacob had never been or gone down to Egypt. So, let's put ourselves for a moment in Jacob's shoes. What do you think Jacob was thinking about? What do you think Jacob was wondering about? Well, he's probably thinking, what am I going to find when I actually get there? He's thinking, was this whole trip going down to Egypt, would it be beneficial for his family. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. 
God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what he does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.